0: Welcome to the podcast version of Robots in Depth and this launch episode with Frank Tove in cooperation with v Robots in Depth is supported by Aptomica. Visit aptomica.com to connect. You will find all past episodes and more on robotsindepth.com. Welcome to Robotics in Depth. Today I'm honored to have Frank Tove here. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So we're going to talk about RoboStocks. We're going to talk about the robot report that you do. But we'll start with how did you get into robotics? How did you discover the field and became realized there's something here that's going to happen?
1: I used to be in the computer business. I did demographic work targeting direct mail, personalized direct mail for political candidates, and it was a pretty successful business. During the 28 years I was in business, it went from a mainframe computer business to a mini to a micro to very powerful micros to PCs as we know them to being in the software business because the digital age had come. And I burned out on politics, had a small stroke and sold the business and closed the business. And then, after a short while, I tried to figure out, well, what's the next portion of the digital era? You know, what's going to affect me? And at that point in time, which was around 2000, I was a passive investor. So my idea was, what's going to happen that I can invest in, in sort of like a basket of stocks, a mutual fund, literally, um, that I can capture conservatively for sort of a retired person, uh, what's going to happen. And uh, I mean, the first thing that popped up in all my reading and research was the process of automation and uh, regardless of the industries, which seemed to progress at different rates. Um, the process was the same, and robotics was at the core of it, and software was a good part of that. And I know software because that's what I did. Um, so that's where I started. And then I I set up a, a business plan thinking, well, I can compile a list because that's what I know how to do. Um, And then I can analyze those and see which stocks I want to buy myself. And perhaps I can find companies that I can invest in on an equity level. Uh, So that's how I got started. During the process, it dawned on me as I was sharing the information with my friends that maybe I should put up a website uh, and share the information that way, all the while developing this database. And the database had value. Lots of different companies around the world kept writing in saying, can we have a copy of your database? And the answer was no. After a short while, when it dawned on me, it had value. And ultimately, a couple of financial guys came along and said, uh, uh, can we use your database? the publicly traded portion of your database and set up a fund. Um, at, so it sounded like free money to me. <laughs> uh, plus it sounded like a solution to what I wanted. I, the one, I found three major bits of information about robotics and publicly traded stocks. There in amongst all the brokerages and and analysts nobody covered robotics. There was no analyst for robotics. Um, There were for automation but mainly that was on a machinery level company, type company. The second thing was that uh, robotics is not an American business. It's a European and uh, Japan and and Asian business. Um, America was users and initiators, a lot like they invented certain portions of TV screens or certain consumer products, yet they didn't produce them uh, in America. So that was fascinating to me. Um, Armed with that bit of information, I started Like I said, the website, the website got very popular very fast Mm. Um, and had good traffic statistics so there were actually advertisers who were willing to pay, you know, to advertise. Um, It never really made a lot of money, I mean, you can't expect that on a very limited audience type website. Um, But I learned how to write uh, better than I had. And I sort of enjoyed it. And when the financial guys made a proposal that we could start an index rather than a fund, we could start an index and license the index to people that would like to bring out a fund, uh, we could actually make money on that.
0: And it's much easier than to start your own fund. Exactly. Exactly. Many magnitudes easier.
1: Yeah. So that's what we did. And we have two licensees of our index, one in London and one in America. And that puts us on the American stock exchanges and all the European stock exchanges and the European banking system. And then later this year we'll probably do one in uh, either Singapore or Hong Kong Very to cover cover the Asian thing. In the meantime, the amount, the, the number of publicly traded stocks that fit our criteria uh, was in the 80 range. So we have I think 81 or 83 stocks in the index right now. Um, The problem is that some of the really good new dynamic companies using a name, Universal is is a perfect example. They've grown from Uh, zero to building robots at the rate of five, seven thousand a year. Mm. Uh, You know, a run rate of that. Mm. And that's a dramatically good company. They're not publicly traded right now. They may be sometime in the future. Another example of companies not traded is Shunk. Here is a end of arm tool company that's got grippers on every major robot around the world, Mm. and every major robot user is aware of them, has some of their products, uh, and they're a family-owned business and pretty much intend to be that way. Mm. Um,
0: They are not even looking at the Like Universal might come to the market, but the Shunk will not.
1: Exactly. How do
0: you capture that?
1: You don't. What you do is you try and find companies that are representative of the marketplace. So it's true that there are a lot of family-run companies uh, in the robotics industry, particularly in Germany um, and the Netherlands. A good portion of those companies are family-run and have no interest in going public. Um, But there are a few older companies, I mean KUKA, ABB. ABB is another problem. Uh, Two-thirds of ABB's revenue comes from the power industry.
0: Mm. And how do you then sort out what comes from the robotic half? Uh,
1: Well, how do you weight them Mm -hmm. so that it's representative? And uh, we couldn't figure that out. So what we ended up doing is having two categories of Uh, member in our index. One we called the bellwether and one we called everybody else. Uh The bellwethers were companies that were pretty much what they call pure plays. Um, iRobot is a perfect example. Their whole business, no matter what it is, is robotics related. Intuitive Surgical is another one. Uh Their whole business. is building those devices and all the tools and um, maintenance material that goes with it. Um, There aren't that many of pure play companies. Um, In fact, I think we only have 20. Um, The other 60 companies range from Um, John Deere. John Deere is a huge uh, mechanical equipment manufacturer. A small portion is robotics related. Mm. It's probably going to be a very big growing portion, um, but it's not happening just yet. Mm. Uh, um, But still, they're an up-and-coming So they are one of the non-bellwether companies, Mm. Um, but they're vision companies. That two-thirds of their revenue is involved in automation and robotics vision systems. Mm. So we include them. Um, But it's been fascinating to you know, and amongst the universe of publicly traded stocks, there are a lot of penny stocks and other uninvestable companies. And there are a lot of companies whose market value isn't great enough or whose daily trading volume isn't significant enough for us to take them seriously as an investable product. Mm. So the result is a pretty conservative portfolio which fits my personal objective because that's what I originally wanted. I wanted a, a sort of a retirement portfolio that was conservative and then I could just watch as the industry grew, it would grow. Mm-hmm. So that's how it came to be and also the robot report came to
0: me. You capture the publicly traded companies in the index and you write about all robotics companies on the blog. Um, You get this very deep and wide knowledge then because you see so much in robotics. Um, We have major trends now going that we see mobile manipulators becoming more accessible. Uh, Is there any key moment in this history that you'd like to share with the viewers? that you think, oh, this was really cool. Like for instance, when the PR2 came out, you just realized that this is going to lead to something awesome. I don't know what it is, but it's going to be big, right? Are there any other movements like that that you'd like to share?
1: There are trends. Hmm. And I'm not sure who said it, but they said whatever you see now in robotics in a decade, that's what's really going to happen. So. I've been looking back, what have I seen? And truthfully what I've seen is in agriculture and in warehousing there are major trends occurring that are pushing both of those industries forward. In uh, warehousing, material handling, you've got bin picking which started 10 to 12 years ago and it's finally hit its stream. The concept of bin picking is simple, um, but why it's important is because conveyor systems and space are costly. And if you can eliminate that by a small amount of mobility, bringing a bin of goods and picking it up, You saved a lot of space and a lot of equipment and a lot of maintenance and a lot of engineers. Um, That's happening. Another thing that's happening in material handling is that when the recession came, the normal uh, investment, capital investment in warehousing and warehousing systems stopped. Stopped for five years, during which the technology changed. That was the time where Kiva's concept, uh, which changed warehousing. Warehousing up until the Kiva system was man-to-goods. Man goes out, runs around, finds his stuff, puts it in a box, brings it back or gets it back. Uh, It was a very energetic method. Mm. Kiva's system uh, goods-to-man is a very efficient system. Uh, and economical in a variety of ways. It was economical in that it saved warehouse space. It sped up warehouse investment and development time. Uh, it enabled a smaller space to have double the amount of workable square footage, mm. um, all at lower cost. Mm. So. Amazon and others quickly saw how that played out. And they were one of the few that were investing. And so for them to buy Kiva and make them focus just on their own warehouses was a, was a very logical, good thing to happen. Hmm. But it's happening all over the industry. And what's happening now is there's actual copycats of the Kiva methodology, some of which will probably push patent infringement and some won't. But the concept of goods demand and then the software system to have, to remove stationary shelving, that whole concept, the whole concept of high rise shelving and and uh, mobile lifts to get skids of material way the hell up there, uh, and way down from there. Uh, that's a thing of the past.
0: And right? that's also where we see robotics coming into an area that everybody feels is kind of set. And then you're totally blowing all the old stuff away, exactly. bringing in something totally new.
1: Exactly. And that's what's happening. You have it on all sorts of different planes. Mm. You have. Companies that are providing mobile navigation devices that you can, or kits in effect, that you can put a kit on a forklift and have it drive around by itself. So you can have a tow goods out to where they need to be housed. Um, this saves a human doing the same job for the cost of a navigation system. Same equipment, but you save a human doing sort of a boring task, towing stuff around. Mm. Uh, I just saw in the newspaper that the uh, Russians have an identical kit um, and uh, are starting to have it installed in Finland and in Russia. Uh, so that's one portion. You have the Kiva copycats. Mm. Uh, there's a big Indian firm, they have a product, and they are selling it in India already, mm. and their volume of producing those products, although not like Kiva's, uh, is grow, is in the thousands already. Mm. Uh, Kiva last year had 15,000 mm. at work, mm. uh, and they hope to do 15,000 this year.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's just amazing.
1: Which is just amazing, but I mean that's thirty thousand robots, mm. or a company that's producing at the rate of fifteen thousand robots. Mm. From a robo stocks point of view, uh, Kiva was taken off the market mm. by being acquired by Amazon. And their in- t- internal revenue, is so small that we can't call Amazon a Mm. robotic company, Mm. nor can we call Google a robotic company uh, for the time being. They may, with with their autonomous driving system, who knows where their revenue is going to come from. But right this moment...
0: It's such a small fraction. For Google, I guess, it's nothing. And for Amazon, it's just a small, small fraction. Exactly. Does Amazon also sell the Kiva systems to other companies?
1: They have left Kiba as a separate operating company so mm. that it could. Mm. But they have booked them and they're uh, to the extent that they cannot produce for anybody but Amazon ah, okay, for okay. the while, next
0: while. Mm, mm, mm. Amazon simply needs so many that the capacity is full.
1: Right, and they're finding it so successful. uh, Look at the difference. Amazon used to set up distribution centers that were a million and a half square feet. And they were these high bay things. So Mm. they had this huge investment in shelving Mm. and forklifts Mm. and other material handling devices, and then conveyor systems, mm. and so and, uh, scanning systems. Big, big investment. Now you have these disposable plastic shelves mm. that cost well, nothing mm. on a single storied f- solid floor mm. to the point where you can just build a second story mm and a third story in mm. the same space as the high bay mm. building. So instead of a million and a half square foot building you have a 500,000 exterior mm. sized building getting the same amount of square footage mm. Mm. at lower cost. Mm. And and <laughs> it's just fascinating to yeah, me.
0: Yeah, there's really, yeah, there's really it's, it's shows you that uh, a different way of doing things can really impact the results. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And something as simple, it might sound simple as from switching from person to goods, you switch from goods to person. It, it, it doesn't look that big when you go into the detail. It is huge. It's
1: a massive it, c- conceptual change. Mm, mm. And but what's fascinating in addition to the concept mm. of the Kiva robot is the full system. The Kiva robot is not just a robot. No, of course not. It's where do you place the shelves. Uh, So it's a dynamic storage retrieval system. Mm. And it's a dynamic traffic system. If you've got 500 robots on a floor and they're all moving, um, what's driving that?
0: How do you optimize the whole setup, so to speak? Exactly. How do you remove shells so that the most demand are the in the front and the closest? And yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's interesting. Software. Mm. And um, the Baxter robot has this theory that you know we provide the robot. Mm but what we really provide is the software Mm. and we can improve that robot through software Mm. for the life of the robot. Mm. And that's sort of what's happening with the Kiva system. Mm. They're improving the software and maximizing the efficiency more and more as time goes on. Mm. Mm. Um, But that's happening in all of material handling. Now, these companies that put off the investment for five years have this new technology Mm. um, and are investing. Mm. I went to um, a show in Atlanta, a material handling show, and I'd never seen, I've gone to a lot of shows, (laughs) and I stay in the hotel where most people stay, and when you go to breakfast you hear people talking. Mm. I have never heard people talking like I did at that show where they were talking about buying. Mm. I'm going to the mm. so-and-so booth because mm. we need so-and-so and uh, that was fascinating to me.
0: So this, this, the fact that people stopped investing there for five years might actually have been a very important factor in bringing robotics in the warehouse because they simply had this uh, pent up need for something new Mm -hmm. and also the opportunity because they haven't been investing for quite a while. Exactly. So the the, the timing there was really right. The The, Robotics uh, technology was ready to serve the market and the market was ready to to, to embrace the new robotic technology. Yeah. Do you see any other areas? We talked about agriculture. Could you tell us a bit about what you think is going to happen in that area?
1: Well in agriculture you have Uh, a very psychological phenomena, which is, don't call my robot a robot. Uh, They have, agriculture is a very automated industry Mm. with a lot of robotic activity, not called robotics. (laughs) They call them machines. Mm. For instance, almost every tractor delivered by John Deere or Caterpillar Mm or any of the other manufacturers, comes equipped with a self-driving kit. Mm. But don't call it a robot. <laughs> <laughs> Those self-driving kits will drive using uh, the extended GPS. The yeah, GPS. Yeah. XG, whatever it's called. Mm. But it's uh, down to a inch and a half mm. of precision. And that enables the tractor to drive properly. Mm. The other thing that it enables the tractor to do is to be a computer center. Mm. And they, for the implements or the tools that they're pulling or pushing, mm. those implements are more and more becoming digital. Mm. And by that it means that Let's say you've got an implement that has eight stations being pulled along. Mm-hmm. Each one is individual. Mm-hmm. And it's controlled, computer controlled so that it needs to work now, but not now. Here, but not there.
0: Um, like a printer, basically.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, the concept is nothing new. It's just a digital activity. Mm-hmm. A digitally controlled activity from information
0: i seen that they do this by uh, they prune uh, lettuce by applying fertilizers to the plants in succession so they plant a lot of them and then they give space to the viable plants by simply not applying fertilizers to the plants they want to go away and that's so cool
1: that's one method mm-hmm. of uh, uh, trimming mm-hmm. or pruning mm-hmm. another method is to seek out the difference between like a lettuce and a weed Mm. and apply soap to the weed, Mm. Uh, all as it's being moved along at Mm. speed.
0: Instead of just like we did before, is indiscriminately distribute what is usually toxic materials to everything, we can apply it specifically to the things that we want to go away.
1: Exactly, Mm. and they're getting that information Mm. from aerial surveys, which they used to use planes and helicopters to, uh, uh, to, to get pictures of. But now, with the different scanners and, and um, different capabilities, you can send up a, you know, a pretty cheap drone, gather information, uh, and with very cheap software, you can compare that to previous mm-hmm. versions of the same image. Mm. And what you get is a digital distribution map, mm. which you can then feed to the implements that you're pulling on the tractors mm. that are being driven
0: automatically. automatically.
1: Yeah, that's so cool. And that's where things are going. Mm. But and if that sounds robotic, mm. uh, to a farmer it is not robotic, it's precision agriculture. Yeah, 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 but to anybody else, that is a flying robot, and mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so on.
0: The other one is a tractor robot. <laughs> uh, that's right. Yeah,
1: John Deere's uh, chief engineer and I once had a long discussion, and he showed me pictures of a tractor without a cab, mm. uh, without any accommodation for a human driver. Mm. And he said, it costs one-third. So I said, are you telling me that the creature comforts Mm. uh, cost two-thirds? He says, yeah, the creature comforts and control systems Mm. that are duplicated, Mm. uh, the air conditioning, Mm. the TV screens, the cab, the space, Mm. uh, yes, that's two-thirds of the cost.
0: Yeah, so if we could do an automated tractor, what we would gain is is not only the actual automation of using it, but it would also cut the cost with with two-thirds.
1: And then they're finding another thing.
0: Mm.
1: As you build these bigger and bigger tractors, uh, to have bigger and more impressive cabs, Mm. um, they weigh more. Mm. So they're compacting the ground, which means that at uh, tilling time when you have to Mm. turn the ground over for a new crop, you need a bigger and more powerful plow Mm. to cut through the compacted earth. Uh, There's two ways to handle that. You can get a bigger tractor, which is the present way, or perhaps the future way is get 10 tractors Mm. that are really small and light Mm. and work as a swarm. Mm. Mm. Uh, and the sum of their cost mm. uh, is about the same as this big monster tractor. But these truly are autonomous. Mm. There's no pretense to have a cab in them.
0: No. But it's interesting to see that, that removing a cab has that enormous impact on the financial thing because if you're looking to buy a new tractor, one that costs you a third as much is going to look very, very nice...
1: But you know the farmer's argument is uh, there could be an animal out there, yeah. there could be a person in front of it. What about that big rock that I always avoid? Mm. Um,
0: uh, and I think that the, the, the context of, of of the the field is is reasonably easy to handle. I mean, uh, if you compare it to the Google self driving car, that's a totally other magnitude of problem. Um, but I also see this as as um, as a health and freedom aspect of the farmer i would presume a farmer spends quite a lot of time in their tractors and it's also so that i know for forest tractors which is another domain um, the constant motion of the platform is not good for you right. to sit all that time and then just move your back uh, it, it's not it, humans are not built for doing that thing, <laughs> for that amount of hours so getting out of the tractor allowing the tractor to do its business is gonna cut your cost with a third, make you feel better, and also make you productive doing other things that the tractor can't do.
1: But the biggest buyer of tractors is in America. Mm. And for whatever reason, they haven't changed their mind just yet. Mm. Uh, The same John Deere people have told me regularly Mm. that they keep suggesting, well, we'll give you a, you know, a a cabless, autonomously driven tractor Mm -hmm. and you can control them. We'll set you up with a control room you can have. No. I want to be out there. Mm. The interesting thing is that American uh, dairy farmers are very similar. In Europe, they have embraced the uh, robotic milking devices, Mm. uh, which has changed dairy farming. You, You no longer have to be the person who is up at five in the morning. Mm. Uh, instead, the cows are milking themselves in mm. effect.
0: And they enjoy it. I know that they, they produce more milk and better milk, they, and they're they, less sick and all these things.
1: That's exactly right. Mm. The, the figures all show that. Mm. And yet here uh, yet in America, um, as old style milking systems age and need replacement, they're not really seriously considering the De DeLaval or Lely, or any of the other robotic milking systems. They have a. I, I saw the booths at a agricultural show, and the salesmen all told me the same thing. It's a very tough sell in America. Mm. Anywhere else, it's an easy sell. Mm.
0: How do you think we get from that state to the the warehousing state where everybody's buying is there th- there need to be some form of a mind shift there how do you how do you, How do you see that happening
1: Well, it could be happening by climate change mm. um, what happened in warehousing was this five year delay. Mm to a natural process of capital investment. Mm. That capital investment is a serious part of farming. Mm. As water shortages in California and serious uh, winter storm damages Mm. uh, in other portions of farming in in America and in Europe are affecting what's planted, when it's planted, there could be a similar five-year hiatus of investment, Mm. followed by catch-up and new technology. Mm. Mm. So if you're looking at the technology that's 10 years ago that's going to show up, and if you look at farming, I would say uh, five years and 10 years or five years forward, Mm. Yeah, you will have autonomous tractors. Mm.
0: Do you see that the European market is more open to the autonomous tractors as we were more open to the autonomous milking? Uh,
1: according to Bosch, who, um, which is making one of these little tractors Uh-oh. that are swarm controlled, uh, I'm going to visit them mm. for just for that reason because it's so fascinating. Uh, they think there's a big market in it. Mm. Um, there is european adaption faster than american Mm. for sure Mm. all of the major farm implements that are digitally controlled start in the netherlands uh, Mm. in spain Uh, they don't start in america
0: Mm. very very strange because we we're used to to california being such a pusher of new technology but in this field, that seems not to be the case. So that's interesting.
1: It's happening. And mm. it, it, it is often even initiated mm. in, in California, in Silicon Valley in particular. Mm. Um, but then it moves away.
0: Mm. Odd, very odd, but that's that's just the way things are. Mm. Um, we've talked about these more or less industrial projects and, and things that that is going to affect us, but not directly. Do you see any trends in robotics that the the general public will see and be able to enjoy beyond the vacuum cleaners that are coming out?
1: The next phase is probably not a humanoid robot.
0: It's too complicated and too expensive, right?
1: That's too far out into the future. Probably the next phase is this uh, collaborative robotics. Every major robot manufacturer is attempting to expand into the area of small and medium-sized businesses that could not afford uh, a robotic installation uh, for a variety of reasons. But uh, the primary reason is that big robots need to be stationary and prepared and integrated and that preparation and integration and stationary have cost. Hmm. Generally that cost is three times the cost of a robot. So if you're thinking, uh, I, I, I'll try a new robot for you know, 80,000, 75,000, well that's 250 to 300,000 by the time you get it running. People buy phones and they buy apps, they want plug and play, they understand that. They even understand, take a computer and a device with sensors and put on a a variety of apps. I mean, I can fly a a drone from my phone. Mm. Why do I need that extra $250,000 worth of installation costs? Mm. also, why do I need an integrator when my guys who do the work know the kind of work that they, c- they need assistance with?:
0: So that would be the Baxter then that, that you can put in easily, more easily? The and Baxter.
1: More exactly. The Baxter and Universal who are quickly programmed mm. and programmable by the actual operator. Uh, operator worker. Mm, very interesting. that is being augmented with robotic assistance. Now that's going to play out over the next few years. Mm. Uh, It's going to play out because there'll be more uh, participants, Mm. more and better companies, including the big ones who are uh, reducing the costs and weight and functionality of their products to get it into more hands. See, all the big robot manufacturers decided, uh, for whatever reason, that they needed integrators and distributors.
0: Mm.
1: And so they, they, didn't, they didn't want to be specialists in agriculture or forestry or warehousing or fluid control or bottling plants. Mm. They wanted to sell single-arm robots mm. and let somebody else do all that. So they build up this whole network of distributor integrators. Mm. uh, All of which add value. I mean, I know some integrators that know the candy business. Mm. And they have, they know the end of arm tooling that is unique to put onto a KUKA arm. So KUKA gets what they want but this integrator is so specialized in the candy industry that They can work for Hershey, for Nestle, for all the other companies because they add value. Mm. Um,
0: But it also makes the whole thing much bigger and much slower. Exactly. you, You can't do that for a small project if you have a... Uh, and, and, I, and, and we also see this a lot, where you have a big robotics production facility, and then you have a human doing, <laughs> every, every 20 step. there's a human doing something because it simply isn't possible to automate it today. And I think exactly. the University of Robotics, is to large degree, has, has said, this is the, we are aiming at the every 20 person thing and making it easy and quickly. And I also actually think wants to be in this space to easy and quickly adapt to these tasks uh, rather than do the full project.
1: Uh, using those two companies as an example. Mm -hmm. Rodney Brooks from uh, Rethink Mm -hmm. is such a good salesman that he has described the need Mm -hmm. and uh, the use perfectly, Uh, even better than his product. (laughs) So the beneficiary of his sales is twofold. Everybody understands now that this is a brand new market that can be served with a product as Rodney Brooks has described. Baxter may not be that product. Universal may also not be that product, but it's a better fit right now Mm. uh, until more products come up. And there are, uh, last year at Automatica, I counted eight competitors coming online this year and next.
0: Mm-hmm. So now, now this definition that Rodney put up is really becoming a market and, and really taking off. Exactly. Very interesting. This was very interesting to hear about RoboStocks and how you took this journey of, of wanting to, to invest in robotics to this uh, amazing thing. And, uh, and I'm an avid reader of the blog and it, it's an amazing source of information. Thank mm. you very much for taking the time.
1: My pleasure. Thank yeah. you.
0: I hope you liked this episode of the podcast version of Robots in Depth. This episode is produced together with V-Volver. V-Volver is a platform and community providing engineers informative content that helps them innovate. It's how engineers stay cutting edge. Optumica is the founding sponsor for Robots in Depth. Optumica rents anything in modular robotics. Dream, rent, build. Visit aptomika.com to connect. I'm your host, Pasha Sherboy, until the next episode, thank you for listening.